Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Tim Wendelboe Coffee Podcast. Uh, this episode was recorded on February 26th, right before the Corona COVID-19 uh, situation escalated. Now, uh, I wanted to publish this as a whole podcast because uh, it's quite interesting and I didn't want to split it into episodes because now is the time to sit down and indulge into new, nice coffee knowledge. Unfortunately, there's some disturbance on the microphone as this was recorded on the farm, but uh, bear with us. The, the noise disappears after a while, and I promise you that our future podcast will have much better audio. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Stay tuned. top of a volcano in El Salvador, literally on top of the volcano. And a crater. And a crater. <laughs> Together with my good friend and famous coffee producer, Hilberto Barona. Welcome, Hilberto. Tim, also, thank you for being here with me again and maintaining this long-term relationships for how many years now? I think ten years. Ten years was the ten first years, time yes. I came. Yeah, ten years. And uh, I've been buying your coffee since the Cup of Excellence. Exactly, in exactly. You. Or something? We met. We met through the Cup of Excellence. Yeah. Uh, you bought one of one of my bourbon lots. Yes. That was on, on that competition ten years ago, yeah. two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. I think then you were thirtieth place. Thirtieth place, yes. But I, for some reason, I really liked the coffee. Uh, so I decided to buy it. Of course, you know, everybody asks me what is the best coffee and I always answer to them, the one you like the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, which is true. So it, it, was, it was quite different than the Santa Ana coffees, and yeah. which traditionally back then was the more famous. Exactly. The, uh, this region has, you know, was not too much on the map. It's like a, it's a hidden gem. Yeah. Which um, region is it? Just to it's, ask. Uh, yeah, it's called Tecapa, Chinameca region. Yeah. Um, a matter of fact, in in COE competitions um, in the past years, held number one of my neighbor farms had the highest score given to a coffee on COE was a 94. Wow! I think was beaten recently by another farm in Colombia with a 95. Yeah. But um, my neighbor's farms here were um, has a, the highest grade given to COE competition coffee. Yeah. And it's so it's it's so good because. Uh, it's the area where the war was really strong during the Civil War during the 80s and 90s, and therefore um, people couldn't replant the farms and kept their old bourbons, you know, uh, varietals that their grandfathers had, and that made the region, you know, really what is called the Bourbon Jungle. That's, yeah. you know, the name they given to El Salvador coffee, but this is the real Bourbon Jungle. So you're the third generation? Company? I'm a, I'm a fourth generation. Yeah. Yeah, um, my family, I own Los Pirineos farm here in Usulut, in the Usulutan, um, Berlin, but not Berlin, Germany, Berlin, El Salvador. Yeah. And uh, we've been in the business for 135 years now. Wow. Yeah, so we... But you were away during the war and then you... Came I was away during the war between yeah. 1980 and 1992. I couldn't come to the farm yeah. due to, due to that, the war, the civil war, and the, the farm was taken by the guerrillas and the government. The soldiers, so really was a war zone. Yeah. So um, I got back to the farm in 1992. Then when I really start, um, you know, taking over the farm all over again. Yeah. Yeah. 
when I met you 10 years ago, you were a little bit more than a, you were more into business than into coffee farming. Uh, yeah, because um, we, since we, my family lost all the, all the other farms and all the, all the coffee farms. So everybody in the family decided not to go into coffee again. Yeah. And um, I always had a passion for coffee because I was from my both grandparents' side. There were exporters and, and coffee millers and producers. So I grew up in a farm, so I always, you know, had that, had that memory of being a farmer again. Yeah. So I, I had another business because I didn't want to rely only on the, on the coffee side since it was very unstable due to the coffee prices because of the sea market. Yeah. So um, in the, in the, from the past three years from now, I have transitioned only basically to get overlook what is my coffee business. Yeah. And today, you know, when I'm here with you, and our colleague Marit is with us. Uh, she's told me this uh, afternoon that it's like watching a kid in a candy store when she watches <laughs> you run around your farm. Yeah, I, I probably call it more being here, like being in coffee Disneyland. Yeah, you know where, where you can see all kinds of things going on in the same place, which is very rare. Yeah, to see all the the farming and the milling and the conditions that the, our farm has, which are unique. Yeah, probably in El Salvador and some other places in the world. And just to mention that we made a couple of videos from this farm that you can watch on YouTube, our YouTube channel. But uh, just to give you a quick explanation on this farm is located on top of a volcano. Yes, um, this farm is located on the highest point of the Tecapa volcano, which is and it's a very, very, very old prehistoric volcano that had a, has, um, I think it's around seven craters. Um, my house where we are right now with them is one next to a crater. Uh, then there's a big crater that has a lake inside. Um, it's the area, a lot of geysers and, you know, vapor comes out of the ground yeah. and generates a lot of electricity for the country. So it's a very um, area with um, highly mineral soils content yeah. on it, which is good for farming yeah, because, sure. you know, there's vo vo volcanic soils and has a very, uh, because of the altitude and the, the position is located, a very good terroir. Yeah. What we call terroir, I don't know that. Uh, and the, the conditions, uh, we are in the area where it's called the dry corridor. And um, the good thing about it is that when they say the area is dry, it, in my, in, in my pos being as a coffee farmer and a coffee miller, it's good because it, it doesn't really rain for six months. So that gives me the possibility to do some processes yeah. that they're not available to be replicated and in other mills in other countries or yeah. places in Central America. Which is actually going to be the subject today, but before we start talking about process, <laughs> you, so you have a farm, the soil is very sandy, I noticed, and since you have this long dry period, I think, you know, the advantage of that is that the roots are able to grow down deep mm -hmm. where there's still moisture. Um, but you also have a wet mill that is, you know, stainless steel, uh, very clean, very nice setup. You have uh, almost a thousand drying beds at the moment. Yes, yes. We feel <laughs> we went from 600 last year to 1,000 this year due to the high demand that we have this year. So, and specialty, specialty coffee is growing, and, and the different preparations that our customers all over the world are asking, you know, yeah. and so we have to adapt to that. And you also have a dry mill where you can prepare the clean and prepare the coffee for export. Exactly. We have an export. We have a. We, we basically have uh, three companies. One company uh, is only, we, we build meals. Yeah. Uh, we represent a company from Colombia and other companies for uh, building meals. We have 
probably built in the last 20 years more than almost 90 mills. Wow. Yeah, um, small and big mills for small producer, big producers. Uh, and then we have another company which is only the coffee farm, in which is I have a agronomist that lives here with me, yeah. who's younger than me, of course, and he can walk all over around the, the farm. It's, too, it's almost 150 he hectares. Yeah. So um, he's in charge of all the farming. And then I have another guy that helps me with uh, milling, with the mill. Yeah milling and export company that which i'm very much involved with so you're pretty much full closure you have control of every step of the farming processing and export exactly because i i, I think that's one of the most important things um, really to know um, exactly what are you preparing what you have and the quality starts what what in the seed selection yeah seed selection plant, taking good take of the nursery having good soils planting giving you know the nutrition to the plants and then you, you, all that combined gives you and have a good process then the final product that you get is you know top notch or really what we what i call really specialty coffee yeah i can only speak for myself i've been buying the coffee for 10 years mm -hmm. and at least the last years when you have started milling your own coffee the quality has increased just because of the milling uh, is it, a big part of it. Uh, the shelf life is better because you're able to vacuum back. It's mm -hmm. cleaner, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and you know it makes a huge difference in quality. These yeah. kind of boring processes. No, what, well, what, what we have done is that um, um, we have invested a lot on technology, yeah. in um, also to be very competitive uh, in order to be in this uh, highly competitive, you know, niche market where where, where you are, where you are also. Yeah. You know, being on the top um, exporters and producers, as well as you being at the, um, you know, one of the best coffee shops in in Europe. Yeah. There's always, you know, uh, things to, you know, to improve, that uh, has to be done in order to be on those, on those, top places. Yeah. Speaking of improvement, you your main varieties today is. Yeah, our main, our main varieties that we have right now um, is uh, the Bourbon. Yeah. Uh, the Pacamaras, we have Pacas, and then we have the, the Colombian over over Vallarto, which yeah. is a, the only plant that we have against Roya. And then you planted some special ones that will maybe produce in a couple of years? Well, our project, uh, we've been working for a project of with uh, Star Seed Bank of almost 80 Varietals, yeah. and then you helped me, you know, copy, cop, copy, well, <laughs> copy them and selecting which ones we really like and we're copying good. Yeah. And after that, um, uh, we we decide which ones and then we planted the plants and then we had we did a trial lots and after the trial lots we, we cup again and then we went and decide what varietals are going to be planted according to the farm yeah. right now um in our for the next 10 year project which is you know com completely in you know um planting the farm with different varietals uh, we're talking about uh 23 different varietals yeah. of those but it takes, you know, it takes at least 10 years to Oh, well, to I, I, I was doing the numbers and all this project probably had been taking more than 14 years wow. yeah. to really, you know, come to the point where, you know, you could be producing coffees that are uh, scoring 87s, 89s, yeah. 90, 91, or, you know, coffees and that consistently, are not consistently, yeah. exactly, being prepared that, you know, people, you know, they buy from me one year and they say, okay, you know, I want, I want double the amount of you so you sold last year. Yeah. So each time, you know, it's, it's getting better and better. And, and there's also um, learning um, from other people, you know, traveling a lot. Um, one of the things that really helped me is that um, um, before I didn't have the opportunity to travel, 
and see what people you know go to those coffee trade shows yeah. meet meet more people go to coffee shops in different countries and try to understand you know how each country what they demand and what they like because not all countries like you know the same coffee yeah. you know there's there's different preparations for coffee shops for countries and for different you know type of consumer yeah. that they want different coffees which is actually what we're going to talk about today and that's different processes exactly on your farm how many different processes do you do Ooh, a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do a lot we we describe ourselves more uh, a farm more more what i call experimental farm yeah because one of the things that um i like i like to do is uh, first of all i think i think myself i in my second life i want to be a, a cook yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to I like to prepare things differently every yeah. every time, but um um in different preparations um it really what we're doing is customizing what the client and the market is asking. Yeah. And um, trying to uh, give or provide is the better word to our customers or clients coffees that can be differentiated, you know, from others yeah. that can be you know exposed to their customers you know of high quality coffee and those processes you know um, each ones are different uh, some people like them some people they don't like them yeah. some people request you know special things some people um you know there's there's every kind of of, of, of processes that right now i probably can name probably 20 on yeah. 20 out of them well, we're going to talk about a few and let's start with the one that i'm requesting okay which is more like the traditional washed okay the traditional wash uh, since we were talking earlier um that was the traditional wash is the coffee that my grandfather used to prepare yeah and everybody used to prepare in central america um, the the good thing about the the wash um, is that um, it requires um so some people take that as not a good thing it requires a lot of water to yeah. be used on that process which is basically uh, doing a natural ferment. The, the coffee is, de is depulped, is that right? First it's depulped, yes. It's depulped, and then uh, the coffee, the mucilage, the mucilage of the coffee is left, and then uh, it's left on a, a, a basin or tanks yeah. uh, for, for sometimes for 12 hours to 24 hours, depending on the altitude that yeah. you are. Yeah. Here it takes almost 24 hours really to the mucilage to come out, and then uh, the mucilage come out. And that's a natural fermentation, and then you wash it, and then you know remove the mucilage, and then you dry it. Yeah. So that's and a traditional way of doing. That's it. a traditional way to do it. Um, with the there's there's three ways to dry it, which I think is very important. It's one of the things that my grandfather taught me very well. Um, is one of the key components on the coffee process is the drying process. Yeah. And we've been doing experiments here with drying. Yeah. Uh, we we've done patios mm -hmm. and uh, raised beds with exactly. or without shades. Yeah. So uh, basically, there's uh, the, the the patios. You can have clay patios or yeah. cement patios, and then um, you can the African beds. You know, they can be under the sun completely, or they can be under the shade. Yeah. So that that's a big variation on them. Um, on the on the drying side, uh, since I, w I explained earlier, I'm on the dry corridor. So, and one of the important things about El Salvador compared to other countries. Is in Central America, I think the big advantage is that we that we don't have a border to the Atlantic Ocean, yeah. uh, which means that we don't get the the humidity that comes during the peaking season, yeah. like Honduras, Nicaragua, or Costa Rica, or Guatemala have, that um, they get hit by these monsoon winds or rains 
that gives them um, trouble picking, you know, the coffee can, fo can fall off. And also they cannot dry in, in their coffee in, in beds because, you know, it's very hard because it's raining. Yeah, so they need to cover it with plastic. They need to cover it with plastic, and so it's, it's a very hard, hard thing to do. In my case, um, since I've been also in the building of mills, um, I decided to build my mill in a strategic position where it's a basically it's in a volcano, you know, and it's a wind tunnel mm. because it's between two peaks and there and is look is position the mill from east to west. So we get full sun exposure. Uh, I'm probably the, the mill in El Salvador at the highest altitude at 1,400 meters. Yeah. So uh, that gives me a very good position because it's, it's windy. So I have a, like a natural dryer yeah. and also being so high that we have a very cool temperature. So our temperature is between, uh, I'll say drops on average during the drying season can go as low as 10 degrees centigrade. You know, on, on the, when we when it was really cold and can go up until the 26 degrees centigrade. Yeah. So we never pass that dangerous 40 yeah. degrees centigrade that, you know, makes coffee, you know, destroy the cells and therefore the coffee fades on time. Yeah, so it tastes woody after. It tastes woody after, or, you know, I say it's like when you go to the beach, you know, and you take, uh, you expose yourself to the sun and, you know, the first night when you go outside partying, yeah. you look very nice, but the next day you start peeling. <laughs> So that's kind of my explanation of, of what it is to over overexpose the coffee. You know, the coffee arri arrives nice the first, the first time it's looking green, but when it gets to the the person who bought it, it was all white. Yeah. So what happened here? Yeah. You know, it's basically it's a bad processing on the drying side. So but drying is a key. Let's get back to the washing because okay. you, because you don't have any water on your farm. Yeah, in El Salvador we lack water. Yeah, basically so. we're very. It's a country that, that we lack we lack water. So basically, all my water that I use for my washing process from rain, yeah. rainwater that I collect in a huge um, reservoir, which one million gallons, yeah. and it comes from the, all the construction of the mill and the patios. And we collect the water during the rainy season. And that's the water that we use for the washing process. Yeah, but now you use a uh, demucellation water. Yeah, um, since we also have a, a system that. Uh, or, or the new way to do it is that not my grandfather's way, but um, we use a machine that is uh, Colombian made, um, which we don't use water to depop. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we only use water for transportation and selection of the coffee. Uh, I mean, selection and separation of the coffee. Yeah, like you're removing floating. Yeah, floaters yeah. and take any rocks or anything that comes into into the into the bags, and that's the only way that we use water. We don't. We don't make dams or, or we don't make ponds of, of all this water that's coming out from the fermentation. We use a, a mechanical machine, which is called this mucilage yeah. that was invented here. It was invented by my godfather. Really? Yeah, it was invented in the 1950s wow. uh, by my by my my godfather. So just to give uh, our uh -huh. listeners a little, uh, you can actually watch the process in a video we made in YouTube. But it, uh, this mucilage remover is actually like a centrifuge yeah it's like a centrifuge but and basically it's taking the mucilage out by friction yeah it's so friction so you don't need to ferment the coffee so we don't need to ferment the coffee so people tell me no you know i mean in coffee competition in cup of excellence if the coffee is not fermented naturally it's never going to win well i have you have proof that that's possible. i have proof that's not that, 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 <laughs> there's more things to preparing a, a, a great coffee yeah you know and for me this is the process that i prefer to buy from you be because of many reasons but uh uh, I think you know it kind of preserves the 
the more uh, natural flavors exactly. that are in the beans. Yeah. You don't kind of add any flavor. Yeah, that, that's very interesting because um, last year um, I won second place on Cup of Excellence. I was only 0. 0.20, 0. 0.20 uh, away from being first place. And I was one of the few that competed with a washed coffee yeah. in, a, in a COE competition. And people told me, you're crazy because you're going to compete with all these coffees tasting differently and you're just going to come with a natural, I mean, you know, washed coffee, you know, process that is going to be very difficult to win. And that took me to second place. So that show that shows that even if a washed coffee is prepared in a well, very well, good way, yeah. it can compete with any coffee in the world. Again, an example is like sending a girl to compete in the Miss World or Miss Universe World pageant without makeup. Yeah, yeah, a little so, bit. But, uh, but you, so you really need really high quality raw material. Exactly. Uh, to be able to have a high quality washed coffee. Exactly. You really, you really need um, high, you know, high. So it starts with the varietal and yeah. the terroir and the, the altitude, the temperature. And also the process that you do in order to have a very good wash wash coffee. Yeah. So I guess the like if you don't have the highest quality beans from the field, it's gonna be difficult to produce a very high scoring. Exactly. Coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has to do with soil fertilizing, uh, the the process, the varietal in this case, um the one that I used one it was a uh, one uh, the coffee came out from a part of my farm where uh, I was pruning. It was for my grandfather's old Bourbon Elite. That yeah, I, which is my favorite Bourbon. Yeah, which is your favorite Bourbon. <laughs> yeah, one of them. I have yeah. two. I have one in Honduras and one here. Yeah. They're all, both old. They were very old. Uh, yeah. People are starting to abandon because they, they are they're really affected by the Roya yeah. rust or rust leaf disease and people is not willing to, to keep them because they're very susceptible. Yeah. But here they're really sweet, and you're you're picking when they're like really ripe. So yeah, so we we, we, we don't pick on the red. We pick, we like to pick we like to pick on the pink on the purple, yeah. the purple side, um, because it's when the coffee reaches its highest maturity in the sweetness concentration on the on the bean, and therefore that gives a very I'll say a good description about my coffee. It's very chocolatey, yeah, yeah, and it's very well rounded, and I think. One of the most important things is that um, I produce coffees that you can drink any day. Yeah. You know, it's not coffees that you take as a dessert or... A, it's you know, very drinkable. It's very drinkable. Yeah. yeah you can drink <laughs> it every day and we'll never get tired. Yeah. It's like having a beautiful wife next to you every day. <laughs> With, um, but this is how you used to produce most of your coffees. Yes. Yeah. In, in, uh, before, um, percentage-wise, um, we used to produce, say, 90% of our coffees were washed or extra washed, yeah. which is, um, you know, after fermentation or this mucilage, you soak the coffee for 24 hours. In clean water. Yeah, yeah. in clean water. And then, you know, it was more, more the process. But now, uh, since the people are demanding different kind of preparation and processes, the, I'll probably say that uh, the coffee that we export or we, or we prepared, only is about 20% is washed coffee. Yeah. Then the other one is between naturals and honeys, so different honey processes. Funny that you mentioned that because I want to talk about honey process. Okay. Which is, you know, 10 years ago, very, very few people did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, today is probably the most popular processes, I think, in Central America because it's quite easy. But it's starting to also be outcompeted by new types of processes. Yes. Um, in matter of fact, um, I think the first ones who really started the honey, the honey movement was in Costa Rica. Yeah. That's where it all started. Um, 
and and that, that that's where where I learned. Um, but uh, what I found out during the time that all all of them they have different recipes yeah. of how to do it, and then I started experimenting with different processes, and then I I decided to prepare what I call the first one is the yellow honey, yeah, and then it's the orange honey, then it's the red honey. And there's the black honey. Okay, hold hold on. You have so, to explain. Okay. How, how do you make this? So uh, I, I, it's very simple. I didn't. I tried to make it so simple that it will be, you know, um, in order to prepare it. Um, first of all, we leave 100% of the mucilage after we depulp the coffee. Yeah. We leave 100% of the mucilage in all of our processes. Yeah. All of our honey processes have 100%. Yeah. In other countries or in other places that they do this, they. They play around with fifty percent, twenty-five percent, and into that. But in our case, we we leave a hundred percent. So that means in other countries they would use uh, the centrifuge or demucilage remover to remove some of the. Mucilage. Yeah, they can do that, or they can just depop the coffee yeah. and, and and then dry and like then dry. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and they dry. They can control the amount, especially in Colombia, they can control the amount of how much mucilage is left. In Costa Rica, they do the they do the same yeah. with this mucilage machine, and and. They manage the different type of honey according to the amount of mucilage that they have, which is completely different than, 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 than what I do. Yeah. So explain to me what's the difference between a yellow, orange, okay. and red. Yeah, basically the difference is that uh, on the on the time that we on the time when we start moving the coffee. Okay. Okay. And so moving, you mean like raking the coffee yeah, on the beds? Yeah. Basically, in the beds, um, when we do, let's say that the, the, I'll explain each process. The yellow honey. The, the yellow honey is as soon as we depop the coffee yeah. and the 100% of the mucilage is left and it hits the bed, we start moving it. Yeah. So the coffee, the, the yellow honey is very similar to a semi-washed. Yeah. People, if you can, you know, before um, this was a coffee called semi-washed, which is not completely washed, but semi-washed because the, this mucilage was not removed completely. Yeah. So it tastes very similar. So that's our yellow. It will turn yellow in a yellowish color yeah yeah and then um when you go to the orange we it, the difference is that we start moving the coffee until the second day yeah so we leave the coffee without movement in the, the bed for one whole day and without movement and then the coffee turns from yellow to orange yeah then when we do the or the red one which is the next process there's three days the coffee doesn't move not at all it stays in the bed and we start moving on to the, the third day. Yeah. But that's can only be accomplished in, in weather conditions that I have. Yeah. Because if, if, if it's too hot when you're processing, then if you leave the coffee like that for three days, it's going to get fermented, it's going to yeah. get rotten. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, why I'm able to do all these processes in honey is because of my weather conditions that I have here. Then the last one, which is the, the most... The people or a lot of markets like the most uh, is the black honey, which is basically exactly like the red honey, which is coffee that is placed in the bed and it's not moved for three days. But the difference is it's dried on shade. Yeah. So the coffee turns instead of red, starts turning a little bit black. Yeah. So, so but that coffee, the, 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 the thing about all these processes is that when you do the yellow, the, the, the orange and the red one, um, it's on the full, full sun exposure, yeah. and if you have conditions, you know, properly, it could take up to 30 days to get dry. To dry, yeah. Yeah, you but have, you have to move it all day long. Yeah, there's people moving it all day long, yeah. and and there's that's the trick. 
uh, and there's uh, people moving along, and always we, we have a wind current, yeah, and, and a lot of sun that you know keeps that um, you know the coffee in a good position. Um, in in the in the black honey process, it can take sixty days the coffee, wow. yeah, to dry. So, you know, it, in order to do that, um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to be able to prepare those. So coffee. that means the you have to charge more for the black honey, or usually I charge more for the for the black honey specifically because it takes a lot longer time to prepare, yeah. and the quantities are less because it takes sixty days by by ninety days I'm done with the crop, so yeah. <laughs> it's very it's very hard to you know make a big batch yeah. of, of that black honey. Yeah. So um, and there's a higher demand for it, I guess. Uh, it, it's there's a high demand. As a matter of fact, I have a client in Italy that I hope she's not listening to me, but uh, I don't know, <laughs> I cannot disclose her name, but uh, she likes a lot of that black honey yeah. and she has it on her blends and she's she's always looking for those coffees. Yeah. You know, for and me personally, if, if I'm going to buy honey, which I have done for uh -huh. you, yeah. we did a beautiful Pacamara last year. Yeah. That was more towards the yellow, maybe it was orange. Yeah. Because for me at least, uh, yellow and orange are have less of this kind of fermenty. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's, I think the one that you bought was more like a yellow Pacamara yeah. honey, which is more on the wash side. Yeah. It has a more taste on the wash side. It's, it's very fruity. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's, it's, I wouldn't say fruity, but it's more cleaner, yeah. more crisp. With hints of fruit. With hints of fruit. You can still, you can still feel the, the coffee and not overwhelm, yeah. but by the fruitness yeah. of, of the, you know, the, the honey of the mucilage in the, in, in the coffee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, uh, like compared to when you only sold washed coffees, mm -hmm. now you're selling a lot of these honey coffees. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a way to increase the value of it. Of uh -huh. the coffee. Yes. So even if you don't, let's say you pick the coffees from the lowest altitude, which is 1300 meters. 1300 yeah. 30, 30 meters, yes. And traditionally those coffees are not going to be as good as the ones from the top. 1600, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but it, this is a way you can increase the quality Exactly, it's like a, it's like a it's like a jeweler. You yeah. know, a jeweler gets a a rock, a raw diamond, yeah. and he has to know how to cut it to you know the piece of rock yeah. in order to make get the most out of it. Yeah, you know, have the have the, the the most amount of diamond out of that rock and cut it. Yeah. So basically, we we have processes in order that uh, due due to the varietal and the altitude, coffees that can be given higher qualities or, or, you know, identity or much better identity, yeah. they can express themselves so they can be sold at a good price and, and still taste, taste good. And if not, the altitude is not that important. So yeah. it's more the varietal in the process. And it's a great way for a farmer to diversify. Of course, it's a way for farmers that they don't have the altitude and it's a way, good way to farmers to differentiate themselves and, you know, put, uh, in, I think it's, uh, putting more work and more heart and put a little bit more of passion to what you do yeah. that gives will return you in, with giving you more money for your coffee. Yeah. But, you know, the disadvantage is that buyers like me are not so interested. Well, you know, there's there's, there's <laughs> there a lot plenty of buyers. There's plenty really of buyers that. around the world now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. You know, I have to say, though, that... Uh, in matter of fact, my, my biggest market is um, Europe. Um, Europe and and um, you do produce a lot of good honey coffees. I have yes, to say. yes, very, very nice yeah. Basically, my my biggest markets in Europe, Australia is the second one, yeah. and probably uh, Japan and Korea is probably but the best. In Japan, they buy a little bit more of the naturals, maybe. Well, in, in Japan right now, um, 
you do half and half because I, what I, like, I I recommend you know for me there's not the perfect cup but um but I have a combination formula that I'm gonna give you is that I tell sometimes my customers you know buy buy the same coffee in the wash presentation or a, a wash process and buy some coffee or the same amount on the natural process and then by by the blending them you know you have to roast them separately of yeah, course yeah. but by blending them then you can combine and get some attributes of you know use of fully washed coffee for a brewing yeah you know just for brewing coffee and then you can use a combination of the natural with the washed in a percentage wash combination yeah. to use it as a you know espresso shot yeah so you know all you know combining the the naturals or the honeys or the wash together you know you can move yourself and i mean what's not move but uh prepare different kinds of of of, of coffee for your customers yeah, we've done yeah. this exercise uh, yeah on your coffee yeah in a matter of fact what really i drink nice. in a matter of fact what i drink is half and half yeah yeah it's not half and half milk or cream but it's half, half, half wash and half, and half natural <laughs> But uh, so you produce a lot of naturals. Yes, yes. Um, Can you explain how you produce those? Well, um, the the naturals are produced. Um, first, the coffee is not depulped, but the coffee is. Um, we take out all the floaters. We yeah. float the coffee through water, and the coffees or the beans that float, we take them apart. Yeah. So we only keep the really uh, hard bean that is sinking, you know, on the water, and that's the ones. It's the good stuff. Yeah. And that coffee, we take it without uh, without depulping and put it in African beds and being so constantly the, moved. the whole coffee cherry? It's the whole coffee yeah. cherry. And yeah. then you start to move it straight away? It's straight away, yeah. every day, for 30 days, you know, probably, uh, I'll probably say eight to ten times, eight to ten times at least yeah. per day being moved each bed. And they normally taste a lot more fruity than the honey coffees. Yes, it's a different profile as different but i tell the people i mean I, I i put in the table not you because but, <laughs> well i think i caught you one time but um the a good natural i'll say it has to surprise you uh it really you have to not believe it's a natural because it's so well processed yeah that doesn't have a funky or strange flavor into it yeah you know but the trend today is a lot of baristas and for competition and also a lot of customers really like these funky fruit flavors yeah it, it, like each year we're looking at more uh flavors towards i'll say the fruity side yeah. um, um i want to call it funky but more experimental yeah. processes that gives different profiles especially in competitions coffees um they need coffees that really you know have a kick probably yeah that will mean, surprise a judge and that is easy to describe That's it's easy to describe it. because yeah. it's fruity yeah and it's you know it was more difficult to find flavors, to describe flavors on our, or find jasmine. I mean, it's very hard to find a jasmine on a natural, yeah. you know, but probably you'll find a jasmine taste in the washed coffee. Yeah, it's sure. more delicate, yeah. the washed coffee. So, uh, but, but the natural is growing and growing and growing. Um, I think one of, one of the key things is that um, um, is El Salvador, especially, and, and myself, I learned to do naturals because a friend, the story is very short. A friend of mine, a buyer from Asia, you know, uh, was supposed to get a container of natural coffees yeah. from Ethiopia because El Salvador is in the same latitude than Ethiopia. And our conditions here, they're very similar. Yeah. So he knew my farm. He was one of my first buyers. He said, you know, Gilberto San, you have to help me 
you know, I need to, I need naturals and I want you to make the naturals. And I say, hey, you know, Mr. Sun, Mushi Mushi, I don't know how to make this stuff. So, you know, find somebody <laughs> that can teach you. So I got somebody that was working on it and, you know, doing some trials in it. Started working on it and learned how to do good naturals. Yeah. And, and I sent those naturals to my friend and he's still buying those naturals. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I came, I'm able to bring out naturals when the Ethiopian coffee's naturals, they're not out yet. Yeah. I do have to say an Ethiopian natural and your natural taste very different. Yeah. They have one thing in common and that's the kind of fruity fermenting uh -huh. flavor you get from, you know, it's a spontaneous fermentation inside the cherry. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it tastes different because of the variato specifically, yeah, because we, sure. we are using bourbons, we're using caturras, we're using pacamaras, yeah. which is a variatos, they're completely different than the variatos that they have in Ethiopia. Yeah. So it's a different profile, but the, but um, I, I can say that a good natural uh, is not doesn't taste like a natural. No, no, I agree. Uh -huh. like, so it tastes like what is this? But it's not a, the natural that you used to taste. Yeah. Are, are used to taste. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, uh, buyers today, in my experience at least, mm -hmm. they prefer the more fruity ones. Exactly, when especially yeah, in, in even in Europe now, um, um, I can say. Um, before ten or five years ago, it was seventy-five uh, percent wash, twenty-five percent honeys, twenty-five percent naturals. Yeah. Now it's sixty-five percent natural, yeah. and then you know honeys and very small amount washed. Yeah, and so um, the trend is more moving to those, this type of coffee. You only wash coffee for the old guys like me. Yeah, no. <laughs> then I have I have, that, I have a special wash coffees, and they're all, I, I like. I mean, I like wash coffees. I mean, they're really you know. They really exemplify what is a good, good varato. Is like you know, looking like I said, a girl without makeup and having that yeah. that beauty that that is there without anything, yeah. you know, on top of it. Okay, the last thing I want to just talk a little bit about. Why so short? Is I mean. uh, <laughs> is uh, uh, anaerobic and new kind of new processes that is yeah. very popular these days, especially in competitions. You mentioned they want more kind of. Uh, defined coffees. Yeah, probably funky is the word. Yeah. Yeah, funky, yeah. yeah. So, can you just explain a little bit without? Okay, there's there's um secrets? there's um, um no there, there's no secret about it um, because all of the most of the process that they're doing comes from the wine industry. Yeah. You know, and so um, there's nothing secret about it. Um, there's two types of fermentation: there's the anaerobic and the aerobic fermentation. Usually, what we traditionally do is aerobic, you know, which is coffee that is fermented in the air and yeah, the bacteria it's still an anaerobic process it's still an anaerobic process yeah. but but the other processes is basically um all the ones that i do is i do some in closed containers um the coffee is is in cherries that they pulp it yeah. say some days some with water some without water but basically some with uh, co2 gas some without without co2 gas injected yeah. but um some of them will st will be double fermented some of them will will go in as a you know coffee that is um the uh, it's not it's not pulped yeah so cherries so cherries yeah. and then take it out after three days and then you know pulp it and leave in a f go fermentation another another three days in a closed barrel in a closed barrel yeah. and then we'll or either we can make it our honey yeah. or a wash you know we're coffee. talking about plastic barrels so it's completely plastic barrels sealed yeah. yeah there's no air coming out yeah. and. We use uh, our our setup it mainly looks like the crazy lab, you know, yeah. cartoon type prep. Um, I have probably one of the largest 
um, capacity of doing all these processes at this moment. Um, I can do probably 100 bags per batch, yeah. 69 kilograms. A lot of people are, or not a lot, but some farms are even buying these huge steel tanks from that are from wine or beer yeah. industry. You know? Yeah, I mean, th but those tanks, I mean, they're very expensive. So yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, people you know, buying into those because those are so expensive that, you know, I use plastic barrels. Yeah, and, that, but you have controlled environments. Yeah, so the, I, I, I think the key is um, to maintain a, a controlled temperature. Yeah, so you have a refrigerated container? Yeah, well, well, we use a refrigerated container, so we basically work with two temperatures. I work with 16 degrees yeah. and 20 degrees. Yeah. Uh, if you go lower than that, you're, you the bacteria will go... Dormant. Dormant, yeah, yeah will Dormant. not work. Yeah. So you basically what you're doing is vinegar or yeah. Yeah. something like that. So um, after trials and trials and trials, we found out there were people saying, oh, go to 14, go to 5 degrees centigrade, and there was nothing happening on the coffee, just ruined yeah. the coffee. Well, I think it's because you actually changed the type of uh, active bacteria. Yeah. That the, might not be, you know, breaking down the mucilage. Exactly, much. because we need the bacteria that's doing the process of fermentation or, or doing the process to still be alive. So what is the difference between 16 and 20? I think that the difference is that just the speed that the bacteria does its process. Yeah. So... Um, they just taste different. Yes. I mean, uh, just to give our listeners some tips, mm. there's another podcast by Lucia Solis about fermentation. Yeah, fermentation. highly recommendable yeah. to get kind of some basic uh, I think Lucia does uh, more uh, fermentation with, with, with yeast. yeast. Yeah. Yeah, I've done some uh, fermentation with yeast, which is very closely replicable to what you do with the container. Yeah. In the, exp in the experiments that I have done using yeasts, you know that that's the same yeast that they're in the market. I want to say the name because you know <laughs> I'm not so can name that, but um, it's very the 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 final product is very similar mm. to doing all all these other processes. So let's try to wrap it up a little bit. So I just want to ask one more question, sure. and you don't have to be super specific about it, mm -hmm. but uh, just to give uh, the listeners some uh, some idea. Like before, when you did hundred percent of your washed coffees, can you like maybe? Talk about a little bit about what was your average selling price for those kind of coffees, or or in which type of markets did you sell the coffee? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, each each country has a different price range. Yeah, you know, and um, at the beginning, those prices were around um, three dollar and fifty. You know, were those prices for specialty? For specialty coffee, yeah. you know. Um, but um, were, were you able to sell all your coffee as specialty back then, or uh, no? You know, just a small amount, and yeah. then you know, start with the processes. I didn't have the capacity, so I had to build a big mill yeah. in order to be able, because all the farm was basically now 95%, well, not say 95, but 90% of the coffee is sold, my farm is sold a specialty. Yeah. And, wow, that's and a lot. That's, it's a lot, yeah. It, it has to do because of the preparations. Yeah. And, but I don't, I, don't, I don't have to see the sea market. I can sleep. Yeah, exactly. I, I can sleep better now without, you know, knowing if there, if there, is there a frost in Brazil or there is a... The coffee is a hundred dollars, or that you know. So basically, I sell under point point system, yeah. the scap point system, and we cup. And if the coffee is you know to a certain, it's an eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety or above. That's how we put price on the coffee. Yeah, yeah. and um, you can see, I mean, um, um, you know, a ninety point coffee to a European buyer can be a ninety four to a nation buyer. Yeah. 
or it really de- or Australian buyer can be an eighty nine. So yeah. it really it really depends. You know, it really depends. So since everyone has been listening to all these delicious uh, coffee yeah. processes, uh, I just want to ask you. If you're a roaster in Europe or mm-hmm. in Asia or in the U.S., for instance, where could you get the coffees? Yeah, um, well, if I work uh, with directly with roasters, yeah, um, uh, my company name is www.tecapa. Dot. Dot. No, well, www.tecapa. That's our webpage. Yeah. And our emails info at tecapa, t-e-c-a-p-a dot com. And uh, they can contact me directly, and and you know we we can work with roasters directly. Also, we work with importers. Yeah. We with. So if you're a small roaster, it's probably yeah. better to go through. An yeah. Yeah. If you're a small roaster, it's better to go to an importer because uh, also I think importers do a great job because they have very professional people. They know how to make good selections. Yeah. Um, they they can they have a well balanced offer, you know, yeah. of coffees that they have available. And also they have all the logistics and all the knowledge of how to import and warehouse and finance the coffee sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. you know, small roasters, they cannot buy, you know, enough that makes sense to make a direct buy. Yeah. So um, sometimes I think people have, a, um, I will say, the wrong idea about direct trade. Yeah. Because people think that direct trade is just buying to the farmer and, and buy the coffee direct from them. Yeah. And, and that's not true. I mean, I work with some importers that the, that the you know the roaster contact me and say, you know, I want a coffee be prepared this way, and I just go and just you know make a request to the importer, and the importer will contact me and I'll say, you know, you know this client of yours that I know, you know, wants the coffee prepared for this, you know, just get in touch with him and yeah. make me the order. For so me, the most important part is that it's transparent. Yeah, it's transparent. I mean, it's very transparent because. Basically, um, everything is done by a, by a by. In, in my way, the most transparent thing is that uh, anybody can contact me. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm I answer the phone and I answer my email. I know that you once told me that there's people that never answer the emails. Yeah. That's not my case. I I I work 24/7, so I when I receive emails even at three a, three in the morning from different places in the, yeah, the country. Yeah, global. And um, it, it, and if possible, that I can you know fulfill of what they're asking you know i'll do it yeah. you know there's there's but, no but if you're like a small roaster in europe for instance you can definitely get some coffees through nordic approach yeah if you're on nordic approach uh also falcon specialty yeah is another of of my importers in, in europe in the u.s it's cafe it, imports no in the u.s i use with a uh, coffee ally i like okay. coffee yeah yeah in australia uh, i work with um basically two importers which is la torre and dutch mm-hmm. And I also work with uh, a Project Origin, yeah, with Sasastic. Yeah. Uh, those are my. And then in Japan, uh, I have a good friend, uh, Taro, Suzu, Taro Suzuki, yeah. Sasa Coffee. Right. And basically, you know, in Japan, in Korea, GCC, GSC, yeah, it's another big green, big green coffee importer. But and if you're a consumer. Uh, then my tips would be if you want to buy the washed coffees, you can buy them from me. Yeah. Uh, Teamwendelbow.no. If mm-hmm. you want to buy a natural, which roaster would you contact? Well, probably uh, I have a good friend in, in Denmark. Uh, La Cabra? No, uh, La Cabra, or probably um, also um, in, in, I was in Morgan, Morgan Coffee. 
Morgon, yeah, he's yeah. in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. sorry. So they buy the naturals. They buy natural. Uh, and if Morgan. you want to buy the honey process, where would you? Morgan also. Morgan also. Y- yeah, Morgan. Yeah, Sweden. And then if you want to buy go, the um, carbonic macerated, you have to contact Sassa Sestig. in Australia. Yeah. yeah. So I guess if you're a, if you're a coffee geek and you really want to try Hilberto's coffees, those are the uh, tips I would give. Yeah, probably. You know, um, I think you have a very good selection of them, and it's but they're mainly washed. No, they're, but they're, they're, they're washed coffees. But there's some other. Like we name other yeah. people that that say also by 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 mail, uh, all over the world because I get contact you know from people um, you know people that are subscribed to co- to roasters that yeah. have subscriptions by mail yeah. and they're happy with the coffee they want to know more and and then um, yeah we just had your Pacamara as our Christmas edition uh-huh. and uh, people loved it yeah and I loved it as well and Marit who's sitting next to me did, is, what did Santa Claus say about it? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, f- but that's one thing. Also, I think is very important that probably we haven't speak up that just before we close. He, here with us is Marit. Marit, yes. Marit and Marit started what as a barista, as a barista, and I think it's very important to bring barista to origin. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job because they're the ones in front of the line. Yeah. You know, they're the ones who, when people ask what coffee is this, and if they don't know where it's coming from, yeah. how can they explain it? You know, and 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 I and I've seen that happen a lot. I mean, I see a lot of trend, and I think it's a very good practice from coffee roasters or coffee owners that roasting yeah. come with their baristas and you know bring them to origin, yeah. show them how the coffee is processed, yeah. and see how you know how it works and see how everything is done. And so that way they can you know when people ask, I imagine Marie did people ask. You know, all the time for, yeah, you know, where's the coffee coming from? How is coffee prepared? Yeah. They have to really know all that and get the passion. That, that's the more passion than being here. Am I right? It's easier when you've been here. Yes. 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 It's easier when you see all that. Well, uh, let's thank you, Hilberto. No, you're always um, welcome. I would say if uh, you want to learn more about uh, Hilberto's farm and see some live footage or not live, but we filmed, we made a couple of films from your farm. Yeah, a couple of times. Also Nordic Approach. Made a couple of films. Yeah. Um, there, there's quite when I was younger. So visit our YouTube channel, and yeah, then you can uh, see how the farm looks like. And there's a lot of photos there as well. It, it's probably one of the most beautiful sites you can be on because it's there's volcanoes all around, and we're on top of a volcano. On top of a volcano yeah. inside a crater. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Hilberto. Thank you very much, Tim, for being again. Thanks you for your friendship. It's a pleasure. Thank you for buying my coffee. <laughs> Thanks for bringing Marit also to here to my farm and. And thanks. thank you for being part of your life, coffee life. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, hopefully you will be listening to our next episode, which uh, most likely will be from some other friends in Honduras. Yes, yes. I know them. They're good guys. Yes, very good guys. Thank you very much. Welcome. Bye. Bye. Let me just...